Welcome to Liquid Church Media. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins. All right, can we hear it for our campus bands doing an absolutely unbelievable job? Please, guys, be seated. Please be seated. Have a seat. You know, can I just also call out that over the past four weeks, I mean, our worship teams have just been doing an amazing job. These guys have really gone, at all of our campuses, have gone above and beyond the call of duty. A lot of them are full-time employees. Some of them are students. There's some mothers in amongst that as well. And they've really stepped it up. They've taken music at Liquid to a whole new level. So can we just give it up for those guys just one more time? Doing a great job, a great job. Well, before I start, I just want to welcome all of our friends watching on the big screen in Nutley and in New Brunswick. It's great to have all of you guys joining us today. And all of those people who are watching on the smaller screen at Church Online as well, it's great to have you here. Let's give them a a round of applause as well. Great stuff, great stuff. Well, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Liquid. And today I get the pleasure of closing out the Pop God series with that awesome song that we just heard. Of course, written and performed by Hawaiian-born artist Peter Jean Hernandez. Can I get an understand? How many people are Peter Jean Hernandez fans in the crowd? None. Okay. Oh, that's probably because you know him better as Bruno Mars, which is, of course, his stage name. And Just the Way You Are is really the song that launched Mars's career. It was released in July 2010. It went instantly to the top of the Billboard charts, and it stayed there for 48 weeks. It went number one right around the whole world. It won a Grammy, and to date, it has sold more than 4 million digital copies in the U.S. alone. And it's easy to see why. I mean, this is a powerful song, sure to melt the heart of just about any girl. Am I right, ladies? I mean, just listen to the lyrics that he sings. When I see your face, there is not a thing that I would change, because you're amazing just the way you are. And when you smile... The whole world stops and stares for a while because, girl, you're amazing just the way you are. Billboard magazine had this to say about the song. Over a breezy piano and vaguely hip-hop breakbeat, Mars professes his love for a beautiful girl who occupies his dreams. Mars pens lyrics that aim to make female listeners feel nothing short of perfect in their own skin. So whether you're 16 or 61, Mars wins you over. And he knows this. In fact, he wrote, let's be honest, what woman doesn't want to hear those lyrics? Now, I know that Mars wrote this song for a guy to sing to his girlfriend. But I got to tell you, as a dad to three little girls, this song just gets me every single time. The first time I heard it, I choked up, honestly, because I imagined singing that chorus to my girls and telling them that there is not a thing that I would change about them. That to me, they are amazing just the way they are. Now, I've been blessed with three amazing daughters, and if you've seen them or if you've met them, you know that each of them are very, very different. The first one has straight red hair. The second one has curly blonde hair. And the last one has thick black hair. They are so different that Meg and I often get stopped in the streets by strangers who 
see us with the girls and they have the nerve to come up and ask us if, each, if all of them are out. That's how different they look. When Meg arrived at JFK with the girls after a long flight from Australia two years ago, a woman who had been on the flight with her and was watching Meg unload the bags off the carousel actually had the chutzpah to come up to Meg and ask her if they were all hers. And when Meg said, yes, they are, she asked Meg how many times she'd been married. (laughs) True story. I mean, what is my wife, Goma? It's ridiculous. Personally, whenever somebody comments to me about how different all my girls look, I just tell them, hey, you know what? They've all got different mums. But despite how different they all are, you know, as their dad, to me, each one of them is absolutely perfect just the way they are. All you parents know what I'm talking about, right? And I want each of them to grow up knowing that when I see their faces, there is not a thing that I would change because they are amazing just the way they are. I want them to grow up knowing that when they smile, their dad's whole world stops for a while. I want this because I know that eventually the world is going to put labels on them that define them negatively. Sometime in the next few years, they're going to be told that they're too tall or too short or too fat or too thin, that they've got the wrong haircut or the wrong friends, that they live in the wrong house or they drive the wrong car. And as their dad, I don't want them to grow up believing the labels that the world is going to put on them. And today... I want to help you see that the way that I feel about my girls, the way that you feel about your kids or somebody else who's close to you, pales in comparison to how our God sees us in Jesus Christ. Amen? So why don't you grab your Bible and some paper and a pen and so that you can track along with me. And as you do that, I just want to remind you guys that over the past three weeks, we've been using various pop songs as a springboard into a study of the Old Testament book of Hosea, which is about an 8th century prophet named Hosea, the clues in the name, who who was told by God to woo and win a deeply flawed woman named Goma. And before we dive in here, I just want to call out that this series has been rated at about PG-13, not because I'm going to screw up and say anything bad, but because Hosea pulls no punches in calling things as they are. Now, you may remember that God has told Hosea ahead of time that Gomer is going to be unfaithful, but that he needs to marry her anyway, despite the fact that she is going to hurt him over and over again by running off to hook up with other guys. Today, we're picking things up in chapter 3, if you're reading along at home. And by by this stage of the story, Gomer has gone completely off the rails. I mean, she's sleeping with other men and she's prostituting herself out to the point that she is literally about to be sold into slavery. Most commentators agree but that by the time we hit chapter 3, many years have passed since Goma started prostituting herself out and she's probably looking a little worse for wear after a long and sinful life. And what does God say to Hosea? Look here at verse 1 of chapter 3. The Lord said to me, go, show your love to your wife again. Though she's loved by another man and is an adulteress, love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods. I mean, God is telling Hosea to chase his wife again? 
I mean, come on. He's been burned by this woman so many times. Since this story began, how many times has Goma run off? Once, twice, three times, maybe half a dozen times? The one thing we know for sure about Goma, she's a runner. And I'm sure by this point of the story, Hosea's mates are like, dude, just let her go. Don't chase her again. Just let her go off. But God says, again, again, again. Now, put yourself in this situation. Would you take back that man who has been emotionally dragging you through the mud for years? Would you take back that woman who was unfaithful to you? Would you take back that ex-boyfriend who treated you so disrespectfully? It's a tough situation to be in. But God tells Hosea to love Goma and to win her back again because that is what God does for his people. Now, don't miss this. Hosea knows that Goma has been living the life of a prostitute. I mean, here she is about to be literally sold as a common slave which means she's probably been away for her husband for some time, living as the property of another man. The chances are she was flat out a temple prostitute. I mean, she is completely off the rails at this point. But what God tells Hosea to do is to step over his wife's sin, to overlook her past and to pursue her and love her again. He literally asks Hosea to look at Goma's face and tell her that she is amazing just the way she is, warts and all. Now, you need to be able to um, imagine the scene here in order to capture the magic and the beauty of it. I mean, here is Goma about to be sold into slavery. And when someone in those days was being sold into slavery, they would usually parade them down into the center of town. And then a a crowd would gather, a lot like this crowd. And then they would put the person up on like a raised platform, kind of, well, kind of similar to this stage, really. And once they were up there, they would strip them naked. Now, I'm going to save us all the embarrassment of taking off my shirt because I don't want to be a stumbling block to anybody. (laughs) But you guys get the point, right? You get the point. And then the bidding starts. Six shekels. I've got six shekels over here. Can I get seven? Seven up the back from you, sir. Thank you very much. And Gomer is standing there on this platform. Her ribs are showing through her frail body. She's probably old by this point. And Her hair that was once her pride and joy is now dirty and matted in places. Her eyes that for so many years she has used to seduce other men are now empty from abuse and fatigue. Eight shekels. I've got eight shekels here. Can I get nine? Yes, I see you up the back, sir. Nine, nine shekels. Come on, guys. She might be a little bit old, but, you know, she's still a great buy. Gomer's standing there, and and can you imagine what she must be thinking at this point? I imagine that as the bidding increases slowly, that she remembers back to a time when she was married to Hosea, a man who loved her 
who treated her with dignity and respect, a man who protected her, a man who provided for her, and a man who was a good father to her children. Ten shekels going once right here in the middle. I see you. Eleven shekels over here. Can I get twelve? Twelve shekels. Come on, guys. She might have a few miles on the tires, but she's still in, in reasonable condition. Can you imagine the shame? Can you imagine the humiliation? I wonder if in that moment, Goma regretted the decisions that she'd made in her life and how her need for attention had driven her into another man's bedroom and how before long she was spending far more time in the beds of other men than in her husband's. Now, her most recent lover had thrown her away like a used rag. She's been away from her husband for so long and passed through the hands of so many men that she has just simply been labeled as a slave. And she now finds herself bruised and beaten and on an auction block. 12 shekels over here. I've got 12 shekels. Can I get 13? 13 shekels. I've got 13 shekels. What's that, sir, up the back? 15 shekels and 10 bushels of barley sold. I imagine at that moment, Goma just stepping off the auction block and not even looking up to see who her new owner was. Just one more man to use and abuse her. But as she steps down, instead of being dragged away as a common slave, she feels somebody put a robe around her shoulders. She feels somebody gently lift up her chin, wipe a tear away from her cheek. And she looks into the eyes of Hosea, who's ready to take her home, not as a slave, but as his wife, once again. Despite everything that she's done against him, Hosea chooses to love Gomer unconditionally. Because as we've seen throughout this series, what happens with Hosea and Gomer in this story is a symbol of what happens between us and God. God tells Hosea to pursue and love his wife again because he wants Hosea to personify exactly the way that God feels about us. Remember, God tells Hosea to win Gomer back and love her as the Lord loves the Israelites. Now, don't miss this part of the story. Hosea here totally just represents God and Goma represents us. So here God is promising to pursue each and every one of us to win us back despite our sin, despite the fact that we turn our back on Him again and again and again and again. No matter how many times we ignore Him, God promises to continue to love us over and over and over and over because He thinks we're amazing. And you know, I believe that this is the word that God has for some of you who are here today. This is why you're here. This is what God wants you to know. God wants you to know that despite what the world says to you, says about you, Despite your past, despite your decisions, despite your mistakes, despite your sins, your Heavenly Father sees you as 
his child. And he thinks you are amazing. Amen? Amen. Touch three people and tell them that they're amazing. Go. It's three people around you. You know, another Old Testament prophet wrote these words. For the Lord your God will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. God delights in you. God rejoices over you in song. I mean, what a great image. It's like a father singing lullabies to their children. It's such a tender, loving image of God. But you know what I've noticed? Regardless of what the Bible says, too often we do not see ourselves anywhere near close to the way God sees us. In fact, we make decisions each and every day based on the mistakes of our past to totally ignore the way that God sees us. We do to God exactly what the woman in Bruno Mars' song does when he sings, Yeah, I know, I know when I compliment her, she won't believe me. And it's so, it's so sad to think that she don't see what I see. We don't see what God sees. We don't believe that we are amazing in His eyes because we define ourselves based on our past failures, our past sins. So we choose to believe the labels that have been given to us. We all live with labels something that defines us in a negative way, labels that the world has placed upon us or labels that in some cases we've even placed upon ourselves that we've used to measure our own self-worth. For some of us, like Goma, the label that we have is because we got involved in a past relationship with the wrong guy. For some of us, We've put a label on ourselves because we feel like we don't measure up in a certain area of our life like we should. And for still others of us, we have a label that was placed on us at school because we struggled more than the other kids and they used to start to tease us. And eventually we just began to believe and accept the label that they gave us. You know, this last one is very real for me. You know, my youngest daughter, Geordie, is just this awesomely creative and free-spirited little kid. But last year, the school contacted us and told us that she was struggling a little bit, that she needed a little bit of extra help. They told us that she needed special attention. And we went in and started to meet with her teachers and the school psychologist and we want to get her as much help as we possibly can. But Megan, my greatest fear in all of this was that she would be labeled and teased. And our worst fears were realized last year when she came home with a note from her teacher that said she had to be disciplined because she hurt another kid. Turns out she hit one of her classmates with a pencil in the arm. And by hit, I kind of mean stabbed. (laughs) And by arm, I kind of probably mean head. 
when I sat her down to talk through it with her, she started to cry and tears started to well up. She told me that some kids had been teasing her because she failed a spelling test. She said some of the kids came around and sat by her desk and asked her to spell some words. And then they laughed at her. And so she decided to fight back. Now, don't worry, all of your kids are safe. Geordie is a loving kid. This was a one-time incident. We've been able to talk that through with her. But the point is that no parent wants their kids to be labeled as anything other than amazing. Do you understand what this does to Meg and I? It hurts. It hurts. But you know, the reality is that we all have some sort of label that defines our life And I want to tell all of you guys the same thing that I tell my Geordie. Labels lie. Can we all say that together? Labels lie. And it's time that we embraced who we really are. In his song, Bruno Mars says that the object of his affection is beautiful just the way she is. But God takes this a step further in describing who we really are in Christ. In fact, God goes out of his way to tell us that we are perfect. Read with me these words that God speaks over us. You are altogether beautiful. There is what? Liquid, say it with me. There is no flaw in you. I mean, Bruno Mars schmars to God. His children are more than just amazing. We are perfect. There are no flaws in those who are in Christ. Now, this is where a lot of preachers and a lot of churches would just end the message, right? When everybody's feeling all warm and fuzzy and we all are encouraged and, 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 and happy with ourselves. So, you know what? I'm just going to close in prayer right now so that you guys can all leave with this nice, warm, fuzzy feeling. No, don't. Up the back. Don't get up and leave. Don't go just yet. (laughs) I can't do that because there's more to this that I don't want you guys to miss. And if I left it here, I would be guilty of preaching only half the gospel. You see, God doesn't think that we're amazing just because He's, like, nice. (laughs) I mean, Scripture says that there is no flaw in us. I mean, really? No flaw in us, no flaw in me. That doesn't seem right. I know that there are flaws in me. You know that there are flaws in me. Some of you more than others, I can see you laughing right now. You guys know that there are flaws in you too, right? There are flaws in us. We are not perfect. We've all made mistakes. The Bible says that, in fact, we have all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. I mean, if we just left things right here, right now, God would be like some sort of, um, like a, a naive grandpa who bounces his defiant grandchild up and down on his lap, choosing to overlook their bad behavior. But that's not the case. God is not naive. God doesn't just sweep things under the rug. That's not how it works. You see, the reason that God sees no flaw in us is because when He looks at your face, He literally sees Jesus. That's 
why he sees us as beautiful. That's why he sees us as amazing. When God looks down at us, he sees his son, who is amazing just the way he is. On the cross, Jesus took our sins on himself, and in exchange, we got his righteousness. The Bible calls this redemption, to be redeemed which is really just a fancy Christian word that means the same thing as it does on the back of your iTunes gift card. You know when you get an iTunes gift card, it says on there, redeem code. And when you go to the iTunes store and you, ex- you punch in that redeem code, what you can do then is exchange the value of that card for brand new music. So when the Bible talks of us being redeemed by Christ, it means the same thing, that Jesus exchanges his life for ours so that God can look down and see the face of his perfect son. And there is not a thing that he would change. That's what it means to be redeemed. Gomer experienced it when Hosea paid the price of her freedom and we experience it when Jesus paid the price for our sin. Hosea 3 says that Gomer's freedom cost Hosea 15 shekels of silver and some groceries. That's about 75 bucks in today's language. You know what our freedom cost Jesus? His life. His life. In the Old Testament, for us, if you, need, if you wanted to go to church and you wanted to set foot inside the temple into God's presence, before you did that, you had to go through a complicated process of washing your whole body. You would wash your head because that kind of represented your thought life. Then you would wash your chest or your heart because that represented your character and your free will. Then you would wash your hands because that represented the work that you did. And then you would wash your feet because that represented your walk with God. And each and every time that you went to church, you had to go through this process as a way of washing away the sins that separate us from God. Could you imagine going through that process before you, you came into church, before you came, when you came up those stairs? But when Jesus sacrificed his life for us, he bled from his head where they hammered the crown of thorns into his scalp. He was wounded in the chest where the soldier speared him to make sure that he was dead. He bled from his hands and from his feet where he was nailed to the cross. Because he willingly bore those wounds, the sin that separates us from God can be washed away permanently. Now when God looks down at us, He does not see our sin. He sees His Son. That's what it means to be redeemed. That is the second half of the gospel. You guys remember the first part of the gospel, right? That God loves us. He pursues us unconditionally. He chases after us with the heart of a father. He feels the same way about us as I do about my Geordie and about my other two girls. 
He sees no flaw in us. We're perfect in His eyes. And He loves us again and again and again. And He does not want us to be weighed down by guilt, by sin, by the labels that the world gives us. But that's where the second half of the gospel comes in. That we're only set free and made perfect before God when we believe and accept that Jesus paid the price of our sin with his life. Bruno Mars would say that in that moment, when that happens, that God sees us as amazing just the way we are. 2 Corinthians 5.17 puts it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a what? Say it with me. He is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. That is a powerful truth. I mean, that is life-changing. It can change your entire outlook. And that's why I had that verse tattooed on my arm as a reminder. I had that verse tattooed here as a constant reminder of what my new identity cost him. When we become a follower of Christ, God takes off the old labels that the world puts us, that we give ourselves, and he gives us a brand new identity. This is what he is doing right now in the life of my friend, Linda. I met Linda at the Madison Diner where she's been a waitress for like two decades. She was serving my table one day and she recognized me as one of the pastors from Liquid. And she sat down and we started to have a talk and she told me about the struggles that she was facing and I offered to pray for her right there. And then I invited her to come and join me at church. And she did. And over the last month, I've come to realize that Linda is a woman who has had labels put on her her whole life. But now, she's decided that her, to put her past behind her and to live with a brand new identity. When I was 13 years old, my mom left. And I remember just crying because I just wanted her to come home. When my mom left first, um, she became an alcoholic and then she became a junkie. She started using heroin. I remember one Christmas, one Christmas morning she was there. She needed a fix. She called me in the bathroom and I had to hold the rubber band here for her, rubber thing, so that she could shoot up. What was I going to do? She was my mom. I just, I wanted to help her. Myself, I was always overweight, so I always got made fun of in school. Fat. Stupid. You know, I just, I acted like it didn't bother me, but it did. No self-esteem at all. Always the one to sit in the back of the room to stay away from everybody, real shy. Afraid to talk because people made fun of me. I only had one friend, one childhood friend who grew up, we grew up next door to each other. You know, and that few times when she like overlooked me to go with other people, it hurt, but again, what were you gonna do? It was basically just a lot of pot for a long time. And then, I think when I was 25, was the first time I tried cocaine. And um, I liked it. What I loved about it was that it numbed everything inside of me that ever hurt me. Everything that I grew up with. Thinking about my mom, I just, when I did that, I was fine. I was fine, I felt nothing. It made life easier, I thought, at the time but it didn't. But then I started with pills, Percocets, Vicodin. Loved them. 
loved them. I pick up a bag, Coke, Graham Coke, go home, do it in 15 minutes. That would be done. And instantly, like, pop four Xanax in my mouth. <laughs> and then I hang out the window, smoke a pop. Some nights I would just lay there and I'd think about dying. I used to drive this church up by where I live and I'd, I'd pull up in front of the church and I'd sit there. I got the courage and I went in. And I stood in, ba I stood in the back and I was watching because they have a little praise band going on and I'm not used to that. So I just stood there and I called the pastor, he was wonderful. And um, he said, so Linda, what's going on? And I just broke, broke out crying and I said, I'm a mess, I can't do this anymore. You know, and I explained to him, my life really sucked and everything. And I said, I haven't slept, I don't sleep anymore. And the one thing he said to me was, when you can't do that, because your mind races, your, your mind just plays games with you. He said, just say, Lord, give me your peace. And I did. I used to see myself as somebody, oh, I was really, I was just a mess, a total mess. And like physically, I didn't even care what I looked like. You know, I was, I was just a mess, a person that needed some kind of help and just needed the courage to do it. I actually talked to my boss. I said to him today, how do you think I've changed? I didn't say anything. He said, well, you're happier. So, and that's what people say. You're happier, you, you look so good. You look 10 years younger. You know, it takes a toll on your body, on your mind. I mean, life I have now is good. I'm totally clean. I'm, temptations, oh, temptations are always there for me. I don't sit in the back now. I sit up front because I really, I want to get it here. I'm a little shy, yeah. I'm going to check out the life groups, I think. I decided that the other day. This is me. This is, this is the, this is me. I'm here now. I'm back. I'm sure there are some things that I need to do yet, but yeah, I am. I'm a new creation. Amazing. <laughs> you know, Linda has had labels placed on her for her whole life. Fat, stupid, junkie. But now she knows that God has overcome her mistakes. God has overcome her failures. God has overcome her shame and given her a new label. She knows that in Christ, she is a beloved daughter of God. The old has gone. The new has come. In Christ, she is a new creation because of what he did for her. So here's my question for you. Are you living your life like Linda, as a new creation? Or are you still a slave, defined by your past, defined by the labels that the world has tagged you with? Have you had the truth that you are a new creation, tattooed not on your arm, but on your heart, the way that Linda has? There was no fancy prayer or ceremony. She simply said, Lord, give me your peace. That's when God started to show her that the old was gone and the new had come. 
believe that there are people here today who have been held captive by the labels of your past, by the decisions and the mistakes and the sins that you've done, and that you're being weighed down by guilt. And because of that, you don't really understand who you can actually be when you are freed up from that guilt. And you need to hear today that we have all sinned. And our sin literally separates us from a holy God. But that's why Jesus came to die in our place so that we can be made right. He exchanged his sinless life for ours. That's what it means to be redeemed. And it's only when you truly know, when you truly understand that you are loved like this, that you get the power to change. You need to know today that Jesus came to love you just the way you are. But he loves you too much to let you stay the way you were. Linda changed. She traded her old identity for a new one defined by God. Goma changed. She traded her old life of slavery for a new life as a beloved daughter. She didn't deserve Hosea's love, but the story ends with Goma walking into a new life, free from the slavery of her past. And now you need to change because God says that you are no longer a slave, but through Christ, you are a son. You are a daughter of God. That is who you really are. Father God, I just want to pray right now that the truth of your words, the truth of your scripture that says we are a new creation, God, that you see us as having no flaw and we accept Jesus. God, I pray that the truth of that would be written into the hearts and the minds and the souls of every person under the sound of my voice. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be whispering that truth to each and every person right now. Just as you guys continue to pray, I know that there are people who are here today who have been a Christian for a long time, but you know you, you know that you've been weighed down by some of the, the guilt, some of the decisions that you've made, some of the, the labels that you've carried for some time. I believe that today God wants to remind you that you are a new creation, that in Him all things are new, and that it's time for you to let go of those labels, that guilt that has been weighing you down. Just as you're praying at all of our campuses, I just want to call this out. If that's you today, if you're here today and you want to be freed up from that weight, if you want to let go of those labels for good, whether it's labels that were placed on you for actions or decisions, if you want to be free from that, I want to pray for you. So I just want to ask right now that you would throw your hand up high in the air so that I can pray for you if that's you today. I see you over here. I see you on the side, up the back over there. I see that. I see that hand right up the back. I see it here as well. Over on the side, I see you. Right now at all of our campuses, people's hands are going up because they want to be new creations. 
God, I just want to thank you for every person who is raising their hand right now, God, for those people at church online who are indicating in the chat room that they want a new identity. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just meet with each one of them right now, right in this moment, God, and that you would help them to accept the truth that they are a brand new creation. And just as you all continue to pray, I believe that there are people who are here today watching this message who want, need to hear for the first time that you are a new creation. Maybe you've made so many mistakes in your life that you, to, you think that you've totally blown it with God. If that's you, then I believe that God wants to remind you today that He is still pursuing you that He loves you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus, to die in your place. The Bible says that whenever you call on the name of Christ, all those mistakes will be forgiven and you will become a new creation. I believe that there's people here today who want to become a new creation. You want to do that for the very first time today. And I want to pray for you. Your campus pastor wants to pray for you. So if that's you today, just want to throw your hand up really high so that we can pray for you. I see you over here. I see you up the back as well. That's awesome. That is awesome. Praise God for you. Praise God for you. Father God, I thank you so much for those hands that have gone up. People who, for the first time, God, want to start a relationship with you. They want to become new identities for the first time. Father, we praise you for that. And Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would walk alongside them as they leave this place. Walk with them throughout the week, God. Speak to them. Speak words of truth over their life. Father, help them to become brand new creations. We praise you for that. Can I just get everybody to pray out loud after me? Alongside our brothers and sisters. Just say this out loud. Heavenly Father, save me from my sin. Make me new. I believe Jesus died for me so I can live for you. Fill me with your spirit so I can serve you all my life. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thanks for listening to Liquid Church Media. If you were inspired or challenged by today's message, we hope you'll tell a friend. For more content, log on to liquidchurch.com or visit one of our campuses in the New Jersey metro area. Liquidchurch.com, where truth is relevant and grace wins.